This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North. This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas. They're here to help. He has time. Launches it to the end zone. Touchdown! Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put. Oh, he's the one. Watch the up the right sideline. He's got to go. He's tackled Sam Houston. Wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Ishmael Johnson alongside college writer. Carter Yates, how you doing, bud? I'm doing really good. Happy to be back in the stew. Back in the studio, man. For, it's been a while. It's been a long. It's been too long. Yeah, we it did, has been. did some did some shows on the road uh, from AT and C, and then from McKinney uh, last weekend for the Lone Star Media uh, Lone Star Media Day, I should say. You, Mallory uh, Tepper, or I guess Tepper wasn't on the mic, and then Cor- uh, Corey Hogue, our small college or non FBS, starting to get that non FBS. Don't insider. get that oh. twisted. I know, yeah. I know, I know. I, I'm, I'm I learned that lesson it. the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you get to get shoot out uh, in our Slack chat. No, I'm joking. Um, the other voice you heard was everyone's favorite Mal Powell, the associate producer of Texan Live, Mallory Hartley. Hello, Mallory. Hello, hello. Wearing my green today. There you go. Ready for college football to start? Yeah, there you go. Ooh. So today, we're going to talk a little bit about the Johnny Manziel Untold documentary that dropped on Netflix uh, yesterday. Uh, we had some thoughts. Carter had the great idea, came in. I didn't realize it was coming out yesterday, and Carter came in and said, should we talk about it on the show? I said, absolutely. Oh, I had it marked on my calendar. Okay, <laughs> you were ready to go. To go. <laughs> so It's appointment viewing for me. <laughs> we will yeah. talk about that. Uh, that'll be the crux of this episode. But, of course, because it's today in college football, there's there was realignment news since the last time we talked. And for, if we would have recorded last week, the Pac-12 would have been existing as a conference as we know it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> A lot of stuff happened this weekend, particularly Friday into Saturday, and as of when you woke up Monday morning, all of a sudden it was the Pack 4 um, So let's just talk a little bit about that, and we'll talk about how it relates to uh, some of the Texas schools, particularly an SMU, maybe, and maybe what their future holds. So let's talk a little bit about uh, whatever the hell happened this past weekend with the Pac-12. Um, obviously, we knew that USC and UCLA were leaving in 2024. That was something that happened. That 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 was the first kind of pendulum that happened um, to the conference. Colorado was the next to then announce they were leaving for the Big 12. And then all of a sudden, Oregon and Washington decided, you know, we're going to the Big Ten as well. And then along that, Arizona, both Arizona schools and Utah hitched their wagon to Colorado and said, you know what, the Big 12 sounds pretty great right now. So all of a sudden, we have a very expanded Big 12. We have a basically a super the other super conference in the Big Ten now, along with probably the SEC, and you have these four schools left in the Pac-12: Wazoo, Oregon State. Uh, who am I forgetting? Um, Wait, here, sorry. The four Pac-12 schools that are left: Stanford, Cal, Stanford, oh, and Cal. Oregon, Thank yeah. you, Stanford and Cal. Um, Washington State. Yeah, Washington State, Oregon State, Stanford and Cal. So now, I, I guess, like for me. Overall, before we get into like how this relates to, to the Big 12 and the SMU in particular, a team that's going to be possibly looking at their options, what was kind of your reaction as it was going down? Because I know my reaction was, damn, this sport's going to be not as cool as I used to remember. <laughs> See, that's interesting you say that because you drink from the chalice of 
the network that yeah. made this happen. <laughs> no joke. I really That's do. Good. Like, quite literally. That was good. Um, drinking from, I guess, ironically, drinking the Kool-Aid of this. But, I mean... Yeah, I as we now see it in the world, potentially sit in the world next year with no civil war between Oregon and Oregon State, potentially no Apple Cup between Washington and Washington State. I, I don't know what as you were kind of seeing the news come in, regardless of where you figured out or regardless of how you felt afterward and you figured out where everybody was going to go, as you just saw the news trickling in, what was kind of like racing? Uh, cash rules everything around me. Mm-hmm. Dude, no joke. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically, I mean, it, it is sad to see all these regional rivalries in college football kind of going away and you see how the corporate suits are now starting to effectively control all of college football. Um, but in, in my thought was honestly, like, I just need real football games to start because yes. at this point I'm so burnt out of discussing and talking about realignment and getting so upset when the people who are really making these decisions will never have to answer for it mm-hmm. and never yeah. have to – I mean, they are just the corporate suits in the background who are looking at the spreadsheet of how much revenue they will generate off of this. And Mm -hmm. honestly, it is going to make a lot more money. Um, I I think this is something that has been in place ever since 1984 when um, the Supreme Court ruled that the NCAA couldn't monopolize and like televising football games and winning against the Sherman Antitrust Act. So we've slowly been going through this since 1984 what i think really i feel like needs to happen in college football is the the college football teams need to be their own national league now basically like the nfl Mm -hmm. and then all the other conferences should stay the same with other more regional sports like softball volleyball even basketball and baseball those should be those same regional rivalries and college football because that's what what uh, controls all the money should just be a national, almost semi-pro league for NFL. Right? That's a great idea. Yeah, I mean, basically, I mean, you know, I mentioned, and Mal, I do want to get your thoughts on this too, because you're, you know, you follow the Big Ten your whole life, yeah, and kind yeah. of how how you you kind of see it. Um, I, I I mean, I grew up with this sport being regional, mm-hmm. right? Right. I grew up exactly. um, a little. I guess like for. And this is what, particularly with you, Carter, I think you kind of grew up more when the sport was starting to really become more nationalized, right? In terms of like everybody's on T, like you're able to see anybody, right? You're able to see B- Bama if you want to, you're able to see Ohio State if you want to. When I was growing up, it was just like the AM, the Texas, the, whoever the local schools were, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of those regional, and I'm, I'm assuming it was the same thing for the, for the Pac 10 at the time. Um, so you, if you became a Wazoo fan, you grew up hating Washington. If you grew up a Washington fan, you grew up hating Wazoo. And that was like, you weren't competing for a national title, but that the Apple Cup was your national title, right? And it kind of like it was always going to lead this way, right? It was always going to more the the media conglomerates, the ESPNs, the Fox, mm-hmm. kind of controlling things. But it did kind of like really put a nail in the coffin of like, oh, this is no longer like, at least at the highest level, there are no regional ties anymore, mm-hmm. right? It is all None. like the Big Ten. The, I guess the SEC technically because they got started. They, they got their expansion done over with uh, pretty quickly. They still have a, a regional tie, obviously. But if the SEC, if Texas and Oklahoma didn't go to the SEC, you would see the SEC try to contact uh, an SC, a USC, right, a UCLA, mm-hmm. right? They try to be in on this. I think um, 
uh, the SC commissioner yesterday released a statement saying like something basically like poo pooing the idea of expansion. It's like, oh, we're glad we don't have to get involved with this. Re- it's like you guys got done like last year. Like yeah. right. this is this isn't like you didn't want to. You just did it, and it happened to fit in your geography. So, Mallory, I'm curious about you as well because you know somebody who obviously you're a Michigan mm-hmm. State fan grew up watching the Big Ten, and now you're kind of seeing the the conference that you're familiar with kind of expand and become one of these like superpowers. Yeah, I'm. I'm not a fan of it. Um, I'm just going to come out right and say it just because, yeah, I did grow up with a, I mean, I grew up with a big 10 before Rutgers and Maryland were even a part of the big 10. Um, It was actually like the big 12 almost. Mm -hmm. Um, My first thought when all of the cards started to fall this weekend, uh, all the big 10 news started to come out was my first thought was not about football. Mm -hmm. It was about the smaller sports like softball and mm, yeah. girls basketball. I think Elia Drinkwitz of Missouri had a good quote about that. Yeah, yeah. Down, yeah. And it's like, you think about, you know, right, this is all about football in the end, right? I mean, this is all about football, all of these TV deals, all the money, of course, is in football. What are, or what is Oregon State going to do in a softball game, in right. a softball series? And we've talked about this before. When they got to travel all the way to, I don't know, well, let's let's take let's take uh, Washington actually as an example. Yeah. When they got to travel all the way to Rutgers right. on a Tuesday night, <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night to go play in a softball series, it's right. like, how does it, to me it just doesn't really make sense. Like I I understand again the money behind it with college football and even I guess college basketball you can throw that in there, but sure. for all these other sports it just doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah, and I think Elijah Drinkwitz I want to bring up his quote because somebody asked him about it. And, of course, he coaches in the SEC, so, like, you know, theoretically, he shouldn't have to care about this, right? Right. Like, theoretically, in a vacuum, Missouri would be fine, right? The farthest they're going to travel is, like, Florida, maybe. Um, so, but somebody asked him at a press conference, and he said, what, is it, what cost is it to the student-athletes? And his point was, wasn't, it's not just football, right? It was about the softball player from USC who has to take a midweek game. Because they play softball, for those of you that don't know, they do midweek typically, and they do three-game series on the weekend. Exactly. Right? And so whatever – I'm assuming those midweek games, just based off of – this isn't me reporting anything. I would just assume that those coaches are going to try to hammer, like, local midweek games. Right? right. Like, if you're USC, you're playing Cal Fullerton. Right? You're playing somebody in California that midweek. Because, yeah, you're going to have to go to Michigan. You're going to have to go to Michigan State. You're going to have to go to Ohio State. You're going to have to go across country, basically, for a Friday through Saturday and Sunday. And same thing with those Big Ten teams having to come to the West Coast. And that's a body clock issue, right? You're changing mm-hmm. two to three time zones. And, by the way, okay, cool, Sunday series is over. Time to go back Monday and go to class and then right. prep for a game on Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday. Right. So, yeah, it's it's – It's just become very clear that these conferences – it's about football now. Oh, 100%. It is and it's about is basketball, too, I guess, a little bit. I, a little if bit. you can make that argument and there. But it's, the, it's about football. Yeah. That's where the, the money is. Do you want the clearest evidence it's about football? Is that Stanford is now sitting in the Pac-4, basically, yeah. conference list. Yeah. And they have won exactly. 7 of 12 NCAA Women's Directors Cups for being yeah. the best women's program and three men's Directors Cups because they have – they send Olympians. Mm-hmm. They have the best swim team. They have the best like tennis teams and stuff like that. I don't know yeah. if they're actually number one the best. I don't sure. like, quote me on that. But they're but consistently they're up, consistently up, there. up there. Right, yeah. right. And they're floating in the Netherlands yeah. right now because right. their football team isn't as strong. Yeah. If and I'm if I'm the Pack Four, I'm merging with the Mountain West in this tr- situation. So, yeah. So so rumors are starting to come out now. I know. I think the the news came out that the Big Twelve I think turned down two I think yes. wa- I think Oregon State and Washington State, State tried yeah. to go to the Big Twelve Big Twelve turned them down, um, 
And right now, yeah, they're kind of left in limbo right now because as of right now, 2024, yeah, it's a pack four. And I don't, I don't, I don't hate the idea of merging with the Mountain West. I think their problem is they know that they have quote unquote power five status and inviting the them. ego is right. Exactly. Not... They, there's there becomes mm-hmm. a because expansions about oh, is on the horizon as well for mm-hmm. the college football playoff, and so they are still considered power five. And so they're kind of in the thing of like, okay, do we get left out and like let there be a power four? Or do we try to scrap together whatever, right? And we can kind of use this to parry into like the SMU discussion yes. and like the expansion, San Diego State, or whatever, right? Um, but there, these four schools are literally just left trying to figure out what the hell do we do. Uh, one thing I do want to hit on that was like, to me, the perfect encapsulation of like how, how you mention it, how it's just the suits that make these decisions. Did you guys see the screenshot of the Oregon Board of Trustees chairman, yeah. Steve Holwerda, who was just on the green when he was voting? Yeah, he was actually hitting out of a bunker. By he was the hitting way. out of a oh bunker on FaceTime, and like I guess he had, probably had his caddy or something had a, had a yeah. FaceTime, and he's like climbing out of the bunker as they're like voting to leave the, for the Big Ten. <gasps> like it's like there's like a as Zoom he meeting. votes to make a decision that will affect thousands of lives, right? And he's just like oh, I got I had tea time, I couldn't miss that. Oh my! And so gosh. yeah, it was it was yep. it's like it's like a perfect summary of it. That's, Here's what. That's I would do let this will lead into SMU a little bit here's what I would do if I'm Stanford and Cal we are already now with conferences we are full manifest destiny we are east to west there is no more geographic location anymore ACC right now is actively seeking to add schools yeah and they're seeking to add schools because Clemson and Florida State in their ACC television contract all the schools get equal revenue sharing Mm -hmm. and Clemson and Florida State are like we are way better than all these say, ACC schools. Mm-hmm. We should get far more of the pie than everybody else does, which honestly does kind of make sense. But it's sure. gotten to the point where Florida State now is searching for private equity investment to mm-hmm. try to leave that conference in time. So the ACC is now searching for other schools to come in because Clemson and Florida State need to convince a majority of the schools in the conference to nullify their TV deal. Mm-hmm. So that's why if they bring in Stanford, Cal, and SMU, they have now mm-hmm. 15, 14 schools, and it's much higher threshold to right. reach that majority to nullify the contract extension. Right. That's so if point. I'm Stanford and Cal, you're looking at there. I'm going ACC because screw trying to keep it geographically aligned. Like yeah, the that's gloves done. are that's off. That's done. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. I, I, I kind of agree with that because honestly, I think we were talking about this in the office yesterday. Like Stanford and Cal, probably they they are a package deal, right? Yeah. Like you can't have one without the other, and that's kind of the problem. Is like some a school that wants Stanford doesn't necessarily want Cal. A school that wants Cal doesn't want them both necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, Stanford probably could afford to go independent if it wanted to, but Cal knows that its kind of destiny is tied to whatever Stanford does. If Stanford goes independent, Cal's like, what the hell do we do? You know, nobody's gonna want us just by ourselves. Yeah. So I kind of agree with that. Like. At this point, add both of those three and then try to do whatever you can to kind of – obviously, the ACC is obviously East Coast-based. Try to do whatever you can with some type of, like, some type of scheduling uh, thing there. I'm I'm not surprised that the Big Ten hasn't reached out to, to Cal and Stanford because yeah. they're, like – honestly, after going from a doomsday scenario last year, the Big 12 is kind of in a great spot now. Oh, your mark mm-hmm. killed it. They, they like, yeah. the Arizona schools perfectly fit into technically because now you have that Utah, Colorado, Arizona kind yeah. of square there. You have uh, uh, tech, obviously, over there. So you kind of have, like, a, a, a geographic west out mm-hmm. there. Um, and, of course, like I mentioned, you had Colorado back in. And it's kind of like a hodgepodge of, like, there are no more superpowers in the Big 12, mm-hmm. right? You just have, like, a bunch of good schools. They right? embraced – 
going to be the third best conference. Right. And it's going to get wild. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's going like, to get weird. It's like, yeah. there's SEC, there's the Big Ten. Cool. Y'all can have the consistent, you probably take up three to four, five playoff spots a year. Right, That's fine. right. Yeah. We'll bring in one or two, but we're going to be fun as hell. And there's going to be a different team every single year that represents us in that. They're also like, wait playoff. for basketball. Yeah. Right. yeah <laughs> wait basketball for basketball be because. so much fun. Like, the rumors <laughs> they're going to be a fun conference. Yeah. It was, it was like, we've we heard the rumors about UConn and Gonzaga joining for yeah. basketball potentially. And, and it's like, okay, like, it, it kind of like. <laughs> Your mark, like you mentioned, he has embraced like being the third best, and is like we're gonna be far and away the third best, and possibly the most entertaining, yes. like overall top to bottom, just entertaining. So, yeah. I don't know. The Big Twelve is gonna be fun. Um, SMU. Let's talk a little bit about what do you think? Because now they kind of hold a lot of cards, right? They could very much yeah. say, "Oh, I mean, oh, oh, here, here's, here's my <laughs> here's my thing. Here's my thing. Sure, the ACC, the the incentive for them with the ACC would be prestige." Right, they want to be able to say that they're in a Power Five conference because that's kind of the, that's kind of the thing. They have money, they have this, they have that. Or, I don't know. I'm kind of in two ways because they would have to forfeit a lot of their revenue if they join the yeah. ACC. That you came s- out. You say, yeah, you say SMU holds a lot of cards. Well, they've been banging down the Pac-12's door as the house literally implodes to get in. <laughs> that's fair. And then they're also saying, hey, we'll go to the ACC and not take any revenue for the first few well, years. Or, so, so here's my thing. Do, are those options better than just staying in the AAC for the foreseeable future and seeing what happens next? Because like right now, you can run the AAC with Tulane. Honestly, probably... It, would it be better for you to run the AAC and as the AAC potentially try to strong arm the Pac-12 mm-hmm. and be like, they're done, we're okay being maybe the far and away low bottom five, but we're okay being considered power five now, right? Do you think there's a way that SMU could – I'm not I'm not saying this is going to happen. This is me speculating purely. But SMU saying with us, Tulane, who beat USC last year, with emerging U, uh, UTSA – UNT has money, right? These other programs have money. Is it, is there some things there to say what the what the Mountain West tried to do a couple of years ago with Boise before TCU left, and I think there was Nevada in there as well when Nevada uh, with Colin Kaepernick. They tried to like band together to form that like the all stars of the group of five basically, mm-hmm. and tried to like strong arm like the Big East at the time out the way. Do you think there's room for that maybe, or is it just like SMU has to strike while the iron's hot, just go to the ACC? My problem with that theory, and I do like the theory, is that I just feel the Power Five is dead. That's I right. was just about to say that there is no Power okay. Five anymore. Yeah. Sure. So it's what, like what Ameri- weight does that hold anymore? Yeah. Sure, sure. Okay, I, I can agree. And the other pendulum I think we're waiting to see is what happens with the playoff now, yeah. right? Because like, yeah. what happens if like you know this is all the well, Greg Sankey, <laughs> SEC commissioner, already said we need to relook at this. I mean, we need- <laughs> well, I mean, well, 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 here's the thing. Is he wrong though? Because right now, it's for a conference champion, right? For each each conference champion, six conference in. champions. So all of a sudden, we have a pack four with what you know. Again, they're not going to be a pack four. Like they're going to dissolve or add more teams. Yeah. But it's like, okay, is that just like do we just add this this conference who's like prestigious, like insanely? I don't know, right? But you that's, know what? This is my this is that's my theory is because we thought we we had a, this idea of expansion with the idea of a power five existing. Right. You know what's so frustrating about the entire thing though is yeah. we had the back half of the 2010s and early part of the 2020s where there was no parity in college football. Oh, 100. Right. And right. there was just hemming and hawing for what felt like a decade of oh we might go to 12 we, we we like four the regular season matters now we finally get to 12 and the year before we're about to get to 12 and have more parity is like they make a power two implodes. it yeah. implodes and they make a power two so we can get more sec and big 10 teams in anyway yeah, yeah. so nothing actually so why don't really let's just go change. back to the to the four team playoff then 
I mean, oh. what's the point of I'd expanding? Rather, listen, I'd because me, now I get eight SEC teams. I was about to say <laughs> now, now it's playoff. all like, and now then maybe all t- a two lane yeah. if you're yes. lucky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, this isn't the end, obviously, because like oh, we thought we thought we had the end of it a little bit, kind of when USC and and UCLA left. We're like, oh, okay, is that going to be the end for a while? We got them going to the Big Ten. You got the Pac-12 kind of holding together. Is SMU going to go over there? And then it was like, oh, never mind. Thanks, <laughs> Texas and Oklahoma. Separate. You started this. We're, basically, they honestly, started this. If there is a if there is a linchpin or what's the word hinge point moment, it is Texas thinking they can run their own network. Yeah. Yeah. If there is yeah. a hinge point moment because that sparked A and M leaving, that sparked Oklahoma being like, Are we gonna stay? Are we gonna go? We'll figure out whatever we whatever Texas does, we'll do. Yeah. And then it sparked Colorado and all and like it sparked the Pac twelve thinking they can run their own network and they couldn't, and that's <laughs> why they're in this mess, is cause they had an awful T V deal because they thought the Pac twelve network would be a thing and it was not. So if there's a hinge point, a lot of it has to do with one. Larry Scott signing an awful TV deal for the Pac-12, and then two Texas thinking they were they could run their own network when a lot of their ideas that they wanted just weren't feasible at the time. Yeah. So we'll see. Again, it'll be it'll be done in the next couple of weeks because again they have a year to figure this out before <laughs> they have four teams in their conference. So, <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about what we the crux of our show. This guy right here. Let me bring him in the one shot. Johnny Manziel. All right, yeah, that so, cover made a cameo. It in, did, it did. It was talk. a very nice, very nice cameo. I have a I actually added a uh, picture oh, did of it you, for you did guys you? to see. Yeah, ah, there it that. is. Yeah, on the, cool? if you're watching right now, it was a nice little, nice little love for us in the Untold documentary on Netflix. My uh, eyes got big. I was like, wait a second, I know that magazine. <laughs> I sit right next to it. Leonardo DiCaprio once upon a time in Hollywood. Like, whoo, whoo, hang on. So, first overall thoughts. Obviously, Manzel. I was a. I'm, I'm assuming Manziel was kind of your both of your like peak college viewing experience, like or his era was, or at least around your yeah. peak. Yeah. For me, I was a sophomore college, sophomore in college, I think, and I was still like shaking off my like. I grew up a Longhorn fan, so I was still shaking off my like AM complete hatred bias. Yep. And so I was like, oh, this guy's not, you know, like his first couple games, I was like, eh, this guy's not that good. He's playing against, I don't know who he's playing against. He's probably playing against somebody good, and I just wrote it off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like looking back, it really like, I don't know, even, even looking back not that long ago, I almost forgot how exciting he was at times. Like, oh, it really just like shook me. I was like, that really happened in this state. Like, they just had a guy who, like, perfectly embodied, like, a fan base and a school and a program in both good and bad ways and, like, completely took off to the moon. I don't know. It just feels like a different world, and it was only, like, less than 10 years ago. It feels like a different world in that and also how stringent the NCAA was yeah, in terms of making point money. Too. Like, yes. you think about Johnny Manziel and NIL. True, buddy. He would have raked. Yeah, the, he would have. He would have been. I mean, he did anyway. Yeah, dog. like he did rake in yeah. the cash anyway. <laughs> Just under the blanket. <laughs> Just in the mattress. Yeah. Yeah. But I think so. Should we give it a out of ten rating? What we all thought? Just rapid fire. Sure. Yeah. I'll say. I'll say a solid seven and a half. I say eight. Yeah, I think I'll go eight. Okay. It, nice. it was. I, it was good, but you know. Yeah, Mallory. What were your What were your thoughts about it? I I was honestly. Now, I, w- I, I, I feel like I was a little young when the whole Johnny Menzel era happened. I mean, I wasn't even in – I was barely in junior high mm-hmm. when that happened. Um, so, I Jeez. obviously, like <laughs> – Oh, God, 
God. Anyway, go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> Carter's younger than I am. I know, I know, but hearing y'all say it is different. <laughs> I know, I know. But I, I was I was I was kind of young when that happened and I kind of just got like the outside noise, I sure, think, sure. of who Johnny Manziel was. And so I kind of perceived him at the time as just this arrogant football player who mm-hmm. was pretty good. And I didn't like Texas A&M that much either at the time. Yeah. Um, I just didn't, I didn't – it's not that I didn't like them. I just didn't follow them because, I, like I said, I was a Big Ten fan, so yeah. I didn't really follow much inside Texas. So the thought of Johnny Manziel, I just kind of was like, eh, he just doesn't seem like a, a star stud, you right. know, like a, a good guy, yeah. you know. Um, but going through this documentary, I feel like towards the end, especially at the end, I gained a lot of sympathy for him. I know that we differ in that just a little bit because a lot of that was self-induced, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were just a lot of things that I didn't know that he struggled with mentally through the documentary. Um, and I gained a lot of respect for him. Um, also, I really, really enjoyed the fact that he was very open about what happened. He was not one of those guys that'll get on a documentary and basically be like, yeah, I didn't really do that. Like, that, it, it was not... not that wasn't my fault. Right. That, he, that was his fault. He didn't fault. play the victim. That, he didn't play the victim. Yeah. He was very open and honest about everything that had happened. And I, I, I just, I gained a lot of respect for him after watching that and documentary. And that's what I was most nervous about going into the documentary is I felt like this whole thing was going to be like, feel so bad for Johnny Manziel. The media made him out to be something Somebody he wasn't. like a monster. Sure, sure. Right. He made him right. a monster. And Johnny Manziel, to his credit, took ownership for mm-hmm. everything he did. Yep. And it was wrong. And he had, you know, he comes out, he's bipolar, so he definitely had mental struggles he was going through. Here's where Valerie were talking about it. Me and you kind of differ. You say you feel bad for Johnny Manziel. Me, personally, I do feel bad how he had to go through his personal struggles in such a limelight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I almost... One, I don't feel bad because of how awesome his ride was at the very start. And I like that he said that. Mm-hmm. I like that he admitted how awesome it was to be Johnny Football right. for a minute. He wasn't like, oh, I was on top of the world, but I was so empty. Right. And so he was like, no, it was sweet. It was, it was like he loved, like he, they talked about the nickname. He was like, no, I, was, I love the nickname. Like yes. was, right. He embraced all of that. Yeah. The reason I don't feel, I almost don't feel bad is because I feel like he is in a better place now and he had to hit bottom at some point. Mm-hmm. Or, he, or he was going to end up in a, in a worse spot than he, he was, was. going to end up dead or in jail. Right, yeah. right. Is what would have happened if exactly. he had just gone to the NFL and still been amazing in the yeah. NFL. Because you see, like, all these people in the documentary that bend over backwards to try to try to hide what's going on, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, you see A&M that, like, he's faking drug tests with the four-string quarterback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you see the NCAA slap him on the wrist with a half-game suspension because they know how much TV money he brings in. Right. You see his agent like trying to make that story where the mom is going to get checked into the hospital. Get checked in the hospital because he's going to fail the drug test at the combine. At the NFL combine. At the NFL combine. All these people are trying to keep the myth of Johnny Manziel, right. Johnny Football, and at some point, they needed to just let him hit bottom. Sure. And that's exactly what they did. And that's what's they happened now. Hit. And now right. he's on that road to recovery. For yeah. So that's why I don't, like, feel bad. Like, I feel like this needed to happen. This needed to happen. I think right. I, I do like that. I do like that they don't put it. Like you mentioned, he's still on the road to recovery, right? And so mm-hmm. when you're battling addictions and things like that, it's a big process. And I like that it ends with. He's not cured. No. Right, he's right. not he's doing he's, anything right, right now. Right. Like, he like, mentally can. Right. Exactly. His sister said, his sister exactly. said that at yeah, the exactly. end. Exactly. He's not capable of doing anything right now, which is like, okay, that's fine. But he's not doing anything that like 
is detrimental right now, mm-hmm. right? And so I like that they ended on like a, we'll see where it goes. He's right. in a better spot. He's healthier now, but it, they're still it's still rocky for him. Like it's a, like the movie opens with him like because they interview him in his house and it opens with him like doing a bong rip. You know, it's like he's like it's like they're not they're not showing like look at this great guy now yeah. and all that. And again, I don't have any issues with marijuana and all that stuff. He could do whatever he wants. But like they weren't like trying to show like he's he's meditating and all this stuff. He's not no, he's still like still doing some weed on the side and like things like that. But he's not like you know, like you mentioned, he's not in the pits anymore. Right. right. He's that's part of his process, whether it's a coping mechanism, right? You said he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, whether he uses that to kind of get, he's in Arizona, I believe. I don't know if it's he's legal. He's in Arizona is, now. It, is it legal out there? I can't remember. Wow. But regardless, like he's escaping and he's having some outlets and that's cool. And that's his way of recovery. I like, I did like that. Cause like some of these, do- so many, so many of these documentaries is like, he hit rock bottom and now he's up here Perfect. and now he's great. And now his life's awesome. It's like, no, no, no. That's part of the process, right? Mm-hmm. Is continuing to get better, surrounding himself with people that, you know, uh, that, that, that aren't going to kind of perpetuate that lifestyle anymore, necessarily put him in those positions mm-hmm. to now, um, to now do those kinds of things. And so many of these documentaries are, here's how everybody wronged me. And right, how, right, right. Yeah. When yeah. I fell on my face because of the environment I was in. I think, I think one of the things that me and, you, me and you talked about this before we started recording earlier was I think the time where he cut off ties with, um, oh God, Uncle, Uncle Nate. Nate. Uncle Nate. So Uncle yeah. Nate, for those of you that, that don't, hadn't seen, haven't seen it yet. By uh, the way, huge spoilers. Yeah, we're, yeah we're huge gonna spoilers. Spoiler. Yeah. Uh, mega spoilers. <laughs> should have said that at the beginning. But yeah. We're going to spoil. Um, Uncle Nate was his friend who was with him basically from like, was he in high school, right? He was junior high. school friend? They were junior high junior friends. High friends. High. Junior high friends through his rise through Tyvee, through the Johnny football peak at A&M, right? He was the one that was alongside him, right? He's, He's the basically one that, his turtle from Entourage. Basically, like mm-hmm. quite literally turtle from Entourage. He's the one that concocted the whole... His family, he comes from money to get him off the NCAA, right? Mm -hmm. So they made up the fact that he came from oil money. I think Menzel's family is well off, but not oil money well off, Mm -hmm. right? I think so it made it seem like basically all this glamorizing stuff that he had, he just could get on his own. And so that's why the NCAA basically was like, oh, okay, that makes sense why he has a Rolex and all that stuff. So Uncle Nate's the one that was behind all that. If you were around during that, you heard the name Uncle Nate. So he cut off Uncle Nate before the draft process began. And I think severing that, uh, this is my theory, I think severing that like tie to what his childhood and like Kerrville and like his upbringing, uh, Carter, you mentioned it. I think it's good, the good way to put it. I think it expedited his, uh, his, his downfall because at that point, uncle Nate wasn't necessarily a good figure in his life, but he was, there was still some tether to like reality, right? Yeah. There was some right. tether to like Johnny how Manziel. Tyvee from was, Cur- right, how right. he grew up in how, Tyvee. How and- Johnny Manziel was at Kerrville Tyvee and like there's some ch- uh-huh. uh, to his childhood, all that stuff. When they let him go, it was like, there's only Johnny football now, right? There's mm-hmm. everything from your past is gone, and now you are just this. And, yeah, I think I think, I think, think it still would have happened. The downfall would have still happened if he was still in contact with Uncle Nate. But I think that, like, really you just, like, put it into overdrive. And it was like, all right, you're just Johnny football now. You're going to get an X, Y, and Z, and you're just going to hit rock bottom within a span of, what, a year or two years when he was in the NFL, and then he was career was yeah. over just like that. The other thing I that I took away the biggest thing from the documentary, and we had talked about this earlier, was how everyone in that documentary who touched Johnny Football is in a better place now, except for Johnny Football. Yep, hundred percent. Yeah. Cliff Kingsbury parlayed that into NFL head coaching jobs. Yep. Yep. Uh, and college head coaching jobs. He was his offensive coordinator at A&M. Someone then went to Arizona. Mm-hmm. You know, um, A&M rebuilt their football field. I was about and to has, say. has this right. big hall now, which that's the very like one of my right when the documentary started. 
Johnny, Johnny Manziel is talking to a bunch of A&M alumni and donors, and he's talking about we're in this beautiful hall dedicated to football around that was not here yeah. when I came. The football stadium out there wasn't like it is now. It, show, it shows the demolition of the old Kyle Field and as they're rebuilding yeah, it. Now. He's yeah. signing autographs and shaking hands, and one girl comes up to him and says, thank you for everything. And that's literally what he was to A and M. Yeah, he everything. He has made A and M a better place. He's made all those coaches better. That agent is like a Eric big Burkhart. time NFL. Yeah. Eric Burkhardt's a big time NFL agent right now. Like Eric Burkhardt's wife was my fifth grade teacher. No way. Yeah, and oh I'm like, just like, she's How not funny. teaching anymore. Yeah, like, they're good. No, <laughs> like, they're fine. <laughs> everyone is better except Johnny Manziel. That's so, insane. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, so Eric Burkhardt, he is for Rock Nation now. Yes. And here are some of his clients. And again, Johnny Manziel was like his big break, um, which I do want to say, I do think like up until, I think Eric Burkhardt had the perfect plan roadmap for how Johnny Manziel was going to get in the NFL. He agented his ass off. He's so, <laughs> like, you you are not going to be on social media. You are not going to do anything but train and condition and all this stuff. And then obviously Johnny. He did the exact opposite I was about to say, of all Yeah, of then eventually he, 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 apparently he was good for like a couple months and then like he hit the it turn. Was, it was literally the night before the combine. The combine. It, was the, it was the week before. Week before the I combine. Thought the, I no, thought it was it the night before. before. Okay. Okay. Well, no, it was, it was the, the week before. It was the night before his pro day. Pro, oh, it was the night so before he, pro he had, day, but had, a week he had before a slip combine. up before the combine and that yes. that went one way. But he had the he had the uh, the night before his combine because he couldn't find the receivers to anybody to catch with him because they were with him. I yeah. think they were partying with him. Yes. So Eric Burkhart had to run routes. Had to run routes for him. <laughs> and That's so, right. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric Burkhart went on Twitter actually and talked a little bit more about that. Um, a little bit more about. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah. Go ahead. If you, that if you was well, I I, w- I kind of wanted to go through some of my favorite moments. So that yeah, was so, that well, was one of them. So Eric Burkhart right here. So he said uh, some additional context to the Giant Browns private workout. Oh, that's what it was. It wasn't pro day. It was private workout. Okay. Uh, he was going full speed and. Uh, he was trying, but it was not fast. Eric Burkhardt, that yeah, is the Eric, agent, was yes, running this routes. Is the agent running routes for Pro Day because the receiver was like with Johnny partying and all that stuff, apparently. Yeah, and they um, were passed out in, yeah. their, in their room and couldn't get so up. So he said he literally out. had to lay out for and die for balls because he was throwing NFL passes like he was Mike Evans. Like he did, yep. Manzel did not let up that he was like, oh, this is Eric Burkhardt. I was like, no, this is an NFL receiver. I just got to keep gunning. Uh, after about seven or six or seven routes, I'm gassed, Eric Burkhardt says. Then the drill, then Johnny Manzel, then drills a slant to me that I body catch and takes a little uh takes what little breath I have out of me at this point Kyle Shanahan is dying laughing and runs a couple routes uh and has me just spot catch some balls at the top of the routes uh he goes on you can go look it's on his Twitter but one of my one of my (laughs) favorite he finishes by saying immediately after the workout the Brown staff leaves and Johnny Manziel looks at me and says what you think and I say I've seen you much better and Manziel says if you could effing run I would have been <laughs> and so, and so, horrible. Yeah, and so that that's a little that was a little uh, taste. I did like that they had a lot of lighthearted stuff in there. He was okay. There were a lot of hilarious parts. Yes. Of oh, this there were. By the way, I, w- I did want to go through Burkhart's a couple of Burkhart's current clients. Yes, Kyler Murray, Bradley Chubb, mm-hmm. Ronnie Staley, Tyree Wilson. Shout out Texas. Nice. Drake London, uh, Saquon Barkley, and let me see if I can find one more. But uh, basically, that gives you enough right there. I mean, hell, Kyrie. Kerry Hyder, who's a uh, journeyman in the NFL, but somebody who consistently gets work. Again, yep. like, yeah. this is a good, he's a good agent now. And Johnny Manziel was like his biggest breakthrough. So the biggest takeaway I had from that private workout was Johnny Manziel got the receiver so trash they couldn't run for him. He's throwing to his agent. And then the Browns drafted him. And, the dra- yeah. and then they <laughs> drafted him. <laughs> They're like, you know what? That's awesome. <laughs> that, yeah. that rocks. Respect. <laughs> yeah. yeah, literally. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
Should we, we do like around the horn some favorite moments? We can go favorite moments. Yeah. Let's do it. Go for it. All right. I I will go with maybe the greatest saying of all time <laughs> is Johnny Manziel that first year at AM, win or lose, we booze. Correct. That was <laughs> that's that was that's a great saying. I told that's Carter I was gonna one. change my Twitter bio to that <laughs> when you were talking about it earlier. That's a good one. That's a good one. I like that one. My one of my favorite moments of the documentary was when this was back at when Johnny Menzel was back at Kerrville, mm-hmm. uh, Tyvee, and his they had thrown him in for his. I think he this was his first game that he had started. He yeah, was a yeah. young guy, first game that he had started at quarterback uh, for Tyvee, and I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, and so I don't remember. Can you remember what the route is or the? It's, it was. It was. I forgot what it was called. It's like tackle trap with a quarterback. Yeah, yeah you yeah, trap the nose guard trap. or something. Yeah. You right, right. So he takes off. Johnny Manziel takes off and he scores a touchdown. Right. It gets called back for a holding penalty. Yeah. And he looks to the sideline at his coach, and his coach is like, "All right, run the same play." He looks down at his wristband. He goes, "That's the same play." Yeah. He's like, "There's no way that's gonna work." Seconds later, takes off <laughs> like an 80 yard touchdown run, and it's like. That was so good. It was one of my favorite parts of the movie. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. I love that part because, like, it just it, it, they had the highlights of it too, and so like you could actually just see like it's that, always that was that was that was him. That yeah, was Johnny. Football. I was about to say, like, you know, that, like that, that was, was that was the 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 part of the documentary when like he you realized as the viewer yes. that's who he was as a football player. Yes, right. No, mm-hmm. I get, I love that part. That part was great. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites was when I'm trying to think. One, the five million dollar bender was insane. It yeah. reminds me of like Dennis Rodman from the Bulls yeah, documentary yeah. where you're just like, what happened? He did what? And he was just like, yeah. oh yeah, we just spent $5 million in one night. It's like, yeah. what ha- What yep. are you talking about? Yes. The other one was how he ruined, uh, how he completely wrote off the Texans drafting him because he got messed up at a country club. Okay. That's <laughs> that the- made me so mad. I was like, you're, you did what? So, the day bo- oh my god. So backstory. So apparently yeah. it's made, you're made to believe that the Texans needed a quarterback and were seriously taking I was about to say, they Manziel. were not, it was always going to be clowny more be, or less, gonna, but they, the, yeah. the, the, the idea was that that completely took him off their draft. So, right. so basically so. Manziel, the thing about Manziel is he, for a day, yeah. could put on this act. Yes. He's a very yes. smart guy. Very and smart. And he could be put together very savvy. for a day. Savvy yeah. person. Very savvy person. So they're at Top Golf and he's so respectful. He's great, whatever. He goes to the next country club over where yeah. they're all still members at and gets <laughs> wasted and starts chucking golf clubs and getting shirtless by hole five. Hole they're five. like, yeah, we, we can't trap you anymore. <laughs> it's like 30 minutes in. <laughs> dude, this is really across the street from that country club, dude. We're all still here. Yep. Golly. Yeah, I said uh, Burkhart, uh, he got him involved with the big charity foundation event uh the owner was going to be there with his wife johnny ends up like donating his own money to the cause it goes phenomenally so like yeah like the texans owner was there and it was like oh man this is just like again it's not going to mean he gets drafted but like he gets him in good graces with the organization and the next day i get a call he was golfing today at the river oaks country club and it got back to the owner's family that johnny by whole five had taken his shirt off looked intoxicated and broke multiple clubs over his knee and threw them into the pond, <laughs> into the pond. <laughs> there goes man, there goes houston <laughs> so, yeah literally yeah so they ended up taking Jadavion Clowney, which is probably always going to be the thing but it should have like, been it should have been the uh, jacksonville to take him because I was they, about took to, yeah, they, they ended up taking blake bortles two. who yeah. i think they had to talk themselves into but mm-hmm. again like it shows how like based off football sure there should have been no theoretical reason probably into today like i think at that point too they were still like talking themselves into like the big quarterback body mm-hmm. right like and so maybe today it's probably more of a discussion if he goes like top five maybe now that we don't we're not wedded to like the quarter ideal quarterback size mm-hmm. um but 
the fact that they went with Blake Bortles, the fact that he fell to the, what, 22, 21, whatever it was with the Browns, it kind of like made sense at the time where it was like, oh, this was all, none of it was talent related. Like none of it was, none of the no. concerns were talent. It was all, which he fully admitted, mental. Yeah. He was like, I didn't like watching film. Like he's straight he up. Didn't, was he, like, didn't, he didn't love film. football. He didn't love yeah. football. I think I, I did mention this to you. He, the things he liked about football weren't the things that take you from college to the NFL. It yeah. was like, he liked the camaraderie of it, right? Which is what a lot of people like about football, but that's not necessarily going to take you from, you know, to the stratosphere. Mm-hmm. What does is the preparation is obviously the talent has to be there too. But what takes you people, talented people have come and gone in the NFL. It goes down to the preparation, the ability to watch film, the ability Work to break ethic, down defenses, yeah. all that stuff. And that's never been his game, right? He's n- literally, you can watch him play and be like, oh yeah, that's not a guy that like, Necessary. I mean, he he know he knows defense. He can call plays, all that stuff. But he's not somebody who's like, ah, I can see when they're cheating the safety. Oh, well, I'm gonna. He's like, oh, that guy's running at me. I'm gonna run backwards because he can't catch me. And then I'm gonna run over here and then side on this 75 yarder to Mike Evans. You know, like that was like he's a he Johnny Football. The idea of Johnny Football in my head is an improviser. Well, he he admitted too at the end of the doc- at the end of the documentary. He was like, yeah, I I was a frat boy. Yeah. And my frat was the football team, yeah. which was very telling sure. at that point. Well, very, the very team telling. issued iPad that they gave him had 0.0, 0. zero hours and of film And then it cuts watched. to a point. He's just like, He's just yeah. like none. <laughs> I, did, yeah, I did love that where the agent was like, yeah, he hasn't watched any film. And like usually you can like, that usually cuts to like the guy going, I watched a little bit. And Johnny's just like, nope, <laughs> I watched no. nothing. Absolutely zero. <laughs> my, I think my, might be my number one favorite part of the doc is when Johnny is basically – exclaim this describing how he had like a hundred thousand dollars in his mattress and he can't just go spend that all in cash so he basically goes to his grandfather and it's like (laughs) so if i gave you cash grandpa could you give me a check so i could put it in my bank account it flashes the only time his grandfather appears on the screen is just (laughs) (laughs) and you think finally someone's gonna say this has gotten out of hand and johnny manzilla goes my grandfather's a freaking G. <laughs> <laughs> His grandfather was money laundering for him. <laughs> yeah, I love that. that. Again, I thought he so played like a good. bigger part. It's like, oh, yeah. He like, that was the uh, only time. The, that was the only time he just came in and just laughed and be like, yeah, I helped him money launder. <laughs> it was so good, though. It was, it no, was but a, it really was a really well done documentary. It gave you like, it gave you the funny moments like that. Yeah. It gave you the real, uh, the start. Because like, again, this was a phenomenon that happened, right? It mm-hmm. came from. A big junior was a sophomore junior year that he took off. I couldn't remember. Sophomore. It was his red shirt freshman, freshman year. year. No, no, no. Uh, Car- uh, Tyvee. Sorry. Oh. I thought, that, I thought it was his sophomore year. Sophomore yeah. year. It was his sophomore year. And then obviously, yeah, he wins the Heisman his red shirt freshman year. First freshman to ever do it. Um, and yeah, it just it, it goes from there, basically. But it gives you everything, right? It gives you the rock bottom. It gives you the... T- it's kind of a, it ends on a to be continued, right? Kind of, yeah. a, kind of a vibe. I don't know if y'all caught this either, but it yeah. was uh, his freshman year at a First game ever against Florida. Yes. And they had lost by Adam had lost by like three points. It I was mean, three. It, it was yeah, it was three points. And Johnny goes, I got home that day and there were four sales yard sa- signs in my yard when yeah. I got home. And I'm like, dude, really? Yeah. yeah. That's insane. Yeah. The pressure he had to go through. The pressure nuts. he had to go through one game by yeah. three point. I mean, really? It was it was insane. And like again, it, it, it's it's interesting to how it was just like just ten years ago, how like you mentioned the NCAA stuff, and now we have yeah. NIL. So it's like all this stuff that's just like, oh, yeah, he was just signing an autograph, and like he got money. He was signing, you know, he's at an autograph event, and he got money for it. And now they're just like, we're we gotta drop the hammer on this guy. You know, yeah. it was like what? Like, it's I don't know. Insane. I'm curious to see how other stories like that we heard of, like the 
the Terrell Pryor uh, tattoo thing at Ohio yeah. State where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, man, they got suspended for that. Like, Jim Trestle ended up leaving Ohio State because of those tattoos and those – They I think they sold the golden pants they got for beating Michigan and all that. And it's yep. like Jim Trestle ended up leaving. That's how Urban Meyer got to Ohio State. You know, like, right. things like that where you're just like – that's a that's a completely different world that we were living in then and now it's just like oh yeah no big deal we got nil deals out whatever collectives out the butt and just like kind of giving money wherever just because how it always probably should have been right right yeah man i don't know that was a really that was really enjoyable um and it wasn't too long wasn't too short it was about an hour about an hour hour and 15 hour 15 which is all we needed which is all we needed we don't need a four-part johnny manzel documentary right no it, it was perfectly it was perfectly succinct i would say yeah um the untold series has been pretty consistent i like the manti teo one as yep. well um they've had some pretty good ones so i'm curious to see what our next the next one that it will relate to us like uh texas will be i'm curious to see yeah that was another cool thing about the doc was just seeing like curveville tyveen it's like oh yeah i called that coach like like last year yeah for cover rap stuff yeah. it's like everything happened here it was like a, yeah the first 10 Friday minutes Night were Lights, just about like, like a little bit of texas yeah. high school football which is right. actually really cool yeah it's it a little cool. bit of a and it's like in the documentary, I like how, like, Tyvee – again, Tyvee's a good program. They're a very consistent program. But they're not, like, a juggernaut, right? No. And so, no. like – but in the in the documentary, it was, like, to somebody outside the state who doesn't know, like, a lot of programs are run like that. Right. Right? A lot of programs are that Like a strict. military boot yeah, camp. Yeah, like a military boot camp. And, like, I'm not saying that's that's the Tyvee's lying or anything, but, like, that's how a lot of teams run that program. And, like, to us, that's normal, right? Mm-hmm. But to somebody who, like, is in Massachusetts, they're like, man, that's crazy, that's you know? Insane. But yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, not everybody realizes that or kind of has that idea right. of high school football. And it's crazy how quickly Manziel admits he forgot about that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. it was yeah. out the window. By that second year, he was not Boop. going to practice. Nope. He was. They talked about he was so hungover, he was sweating yep. like, through practice, and Kingsbury had to get in his face and be like, you better be good by Saturday, which, also, can we admit the Scooby-Doo costume rocked? That, yes. was, that was hilarious. That, that was, was awesome. awesome. That's hilarious. That, that Scooby-Doo cool. costume that he was partying in, and then yes. the next day she was up super hungover. Um, also, being super hungover at the Manning Passing Academy is kind of funny too. That's kind of a, that's kind of a, that's kind of an alpha move. <laughs> that's kind of an alpha that was move. An, that was an assertion. Of Didn't somebody there. come up to him in a Scooby Doo costume? Or yes, like, it was it was after a game. I think. yeah, it was, was like it somebody, after the Alabama game. Or it was something, something like that. Yeah. Like somebody was like in the crowd or something with a Scooby Doo costume. Yeah. It was just like that. That's awesome, dude. It's he was so he was awesome. He was great. Like I'm telling you, like that. Looking back, like it's a flash in the pan how somebody again could like. Imagine the the mega personality you have to be to like get A and M and College Station in unison behind you, mm-hmm. right? That's such a hard fan base to penetrate, and he just did it without speaking to the media, without once. speaking to the media at all, basically until speak what? His, to the media. What, when, when did he first speak to the media? Like uh, that be his sophomore his year? Heis- because no, before the Heisman. It was before the Heisman because because oh, he had right, to. Because he was, had to. Right, this, right. He grew into this legend because he wasn't allowed to talk. So yeah. Yeah, they never heard him talk. They just saw the Scooby Doo picture. They saw the they saw the game. Who's this guy? that we can't talk to. Yeah, it was like. And again, like it, it happened with one a fan base that's notoriously just like insulated, yeah. and it's like here's this mythic cr- character who's like, basically like you mentioned, rebuilding the school more or less. And yeah, it was lightning in a bottle. It really was. It was two years, and it seems like, I don't know. It seemed, it was such a flash in the pan, but it was like a perfect moment. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, I think they did a really good job of like catching all of that. 
Yeah. So yeah, it was great. Yeah, I highly high recommend. I mean, we quote unquote spoiled some things, but the deliveries of it, delivery of a lot of the things are excellent. We're He's we a didn't good ruin storyteller that. too. He is a very good. Him and Eric Burkhart, uh, the agent as well, both good storytellers, yeah. and so they can recall a lot of things. So high recommend if you're on the fence about it, if you were thinking about it. Uh, very good recommend, and it doesn't take long to watch, like we said. So. That'll do it for us. A uh, little plug for our home field as well. Uh, we had another. We had a couple of drops. Uh, UTEP dropped an incredible, incredible line. I need to get a um, uh, a peach shirt. They also had a minor magic shirt. Promo code DCTF if you want some 15% off your first time purchase. Remember that's homefieldapparel.com. Mallory, I think they also had a new Michigan State drop. I did see it. it yeah, nice. so uh, that, that was pretty cool. Uh, continuing to add new schools and update their old partnerships as well. That'll do it for us, and we will talk to you guys next week. We'll probably get to probably some preview content because we got the season coming up pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's starting soon. Yeah, yeah, that'll do it. Uh, we've interviewed twelve of the thirteen FBS head coaches in the state. Jimbo Fisher, please give us a call. Hey, we talked to Bobby Petrino. Go check out Mike Craven's <laughs> story on TechSilva.com. Bobby Petrino finally got to the media, so that was fun. Um, he has a story on how all that drama from AM the offseason was probably probably little, for nothing. Probably for nothing because <laughs> Bobby Petrino seems to be on board, and we don't know why he just didn't let him talk this whole time. Anyway, uh, also, go Rutgers. You are in the power conference. So, congratulations. From your ivory tower. <laughs> From your ivory tower.